Welcome to episode 210 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you been hearing the term post-COVID world? I have, and it kind of irks me because let's be real, we're still in a COVID-19 world. Perhaps that's less true in some parts of the globe or even some parts of the US, but where I live, we are very much still dealing with this pandemic. In a couple of weeks, it will be six months since life changed dramatically all over the world. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking about everything we haven't been able to do over the last six months, but there are definitely silver linings in this dark cloud. I've rediscovered connections with people in my network because I've been more diligent about reaching out. I've hosted a free weekly No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour for five and a half months, which led to over 800 people subscribing to my email list and lots of new revenue opportunities. With everyone becoming more and more comfortable doing business online, dozens of my students in Danny Innes Launch My Courses course have been seeing great results. There's generally been a lot of interest in learning online, and I've seen a wide range of topics successfully launch. It's actually kind of fascinating what people are interested in. Last week, I shared how Danny Inney was doing a free three-day online course business bootcamp. And if you were there, you know he invited everyone to join his course business masterclass program. This is a powerful combo of launch my courses and sell more courses, plus live one-on-one coaching and a weekly group training. If you missed it, you are in luck because I can still get you access to Course Business Masterclass. I think you should consider enrolling because I'd love to see you launch your own successful online course business. Your challenge this week, commit to moving your course from idea to reality by signing up for Danny Innes Course Business Masterclass program at robbysamuels.com forward slash CBM. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash CBM, as in Course Business Masterclass. When you sign up, you'll join Launch My Courses, an intensive online training with coaching to get you to your course piloted with actual paying students. Then you'll move on to Sell My Courses, which has a lifetime membership so you can always get help to make your course has enough students and earns enough revenue. Plus, along the way, you'll have live coaching, online co-working sessions, a step-by-step action plan, a student community that loves to share ideas and support one another, and a whole lot more. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash CBM. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest embodies the term young at heart. Anyone encounters her would describe her as joyful, funny, and spontaneous. She calls herself a porcupine trainer. Her term for the sticky situations and prickly people we have all to face on a daily basis. She's a columnist, humorist, and broadcaster. Her Beacon award-winning TV show, My Hometown, formed the basis for her best-selling book, True Tales of Puget Sound. Her podcast, Swimming Upstream, airs on the SOB network, and SOB stands for Spunky Old Broads. The hosts are all women over 50 years old. 
She has been an award-winning broadcaster, columnist, and speaker for the past 40 years. So to call her an expert is an understatement. She's come a long way from the unemployable widow with six kids who couldn't drive on the freeway on her own. Please join me in welcoming Dorothy Wilhelm. Well, Robbie, it's a delight to be here. You know, usually I'm on the other side of the mic, so this is a real treat. Dorothy, thanks so much for joining us in your office in DuPont, Washington. It's so fun to have you here and to be getting to know you in this way. So as you know, this is a show about building strong relationships and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I define leadership, this is the serious part. I define uh, leadership as the ability to move forward even when you're not sure you're right and to understand that if you lead and take people with you, you're responsible for them. This is the thing I don't hear uh, speakers say much. When did I realize I had the ability to lead? Honey, I'm the mother of six children, most of whom are senior citizens, all of whom had wonderful careers and are happily married. In fact, my one son celebrated 45 years yesterday, same girl. And every one of them thinks I had nothing to do with it. That's leadership. <laughs> There's so many things that you said in such a short few sentences that needs to be unpacked. One is <laughs> I really, I love the idea that, um, it's not just that we go in a certain direction and take people with us, it's that we're responsible for them when we do that. I like that you're really underscoring that. Um, and also, the idea that you have six children, one thing, that they that several of them, so four out of six are senior citizens, is that 64 and 65 right. years old or the oldest? Yeah, four, uh, one is your age, so not a senior citizen, yeah, yeah. younger than springtime. But, <laughs> but the others, yeah. There are three retired and really until all this happened, able to travel the world, which means it was a very successful career. Fantastic. Wow. So, you know, there's a lot to look forward to. But what I what I really I kind of wanted to hit on the um, leadership angle that you have to remember the people you bring along, because my husband was a soldier and he was a leader. And in these days that people don't remember, military leadership does not have the picture it did when we were young. But many and many of the night, he was an officer. He was in charge of many men. It was kind of biblical, you know. And many and many a night, he'd be called in the middle of the night to get up and go out because one of his soldiers was in trouble. And that, to me, is what leadership is. You don't get to say whatever you want or do whatever you want. You've got to remember the other people. Yeah. So I'm really curious, Dorothy, if you could take us back a ways, what were you like as a kid? Like, you know, were, were you always you? Like it was, I mean, you have such like a striking personality. I'm imagining you at five years old in the playground, still you today. Well, you know, that's kind of an embarrassing question because I was, but I had no idea I could make money doing it. I had, this is so embarrassing. And I grew up in Moreland, Montana, which is under Libby Dam now. So I literally can't go home again. Um, yes, I had a nickname. The children called me Blabbermouth. <laughs> and, and I was always trying to tell people what to do. Now, I was un. un or surprisingly, I think, very shy. And I did get over that. Uh, but really, I inclined toward thinking people are much the same through life. The big difference for me 
was being an army wife, you don't, you pretty much do what you're told to do. So if life had happened differently and sir had, he allowed me to call him by his first name, but he didn't encourage it. If he were still here, I would not be here because when uh, he died suddenly at 50, you know, we talk about leadership. Well, I had to do something. I had to say, and what can I do? What are the tools I have in my hands? What can I do that people will pay to have me do? And that's what I've got to be me. Yeah. So, but it's so curious because, of course, you were already you at that point. You just hadn't monetized it, right? (laughs) Well, I hadn't monetized it and I hadn't said much about it because, um, you know, Sir always told me what I thought. And, and I was not too surprised. I mean, if he, he was very smart. And so I thought, well, you know, if that's what I think, that's what I think. And things were, in those days, it was very different because, for instance, one of the things that made uh, my finding my, what I can monetize was that an officer's wife did not work. I, I can't even imagine trying to tell my daughters-in-law they couldn't work. But in those days, if your wife was working, you were called into the CO's office and told your wife is working, see that she stops. Wow. So, so what I, I, so no, I had no idea. And here's the thing I do encourage people looking to see how they can be leaders, though, is that so when the time came that I had to find out what I did, um, you must explain to people about my great age, because I just have a flat spot on my brain. And every once in a while, it goes by and it gets flat. And it will, it will come by again. But anyway, what you've got is it's all in there. And you just have to pull it out one thing at a time and look at it and say, well, can I do anything with this? And uh, so how long were you married then before, before your husband passed so suddenly? It, you know, it's so funny, 20, uh, 28 years. 28 years, yeah. 28 years. um, And when he died, our oldest daughter was 27, 26. So it was very, all of them, all of them who are married, my daughter isn't married yet, but all of them who are married have been married much longer than we were. And it's a a very bittersweet, lovely, lovely. I'm glad for them. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it was a crash course, I think you could say. Yeah, yeah. So it's so interesting because I mean, such a different era. I mean, we haven't really named this yet, but you know, you're you're turning eighty seven this year, so <laughs> it's like an opportunity to talk. I mean, it's a different generation. I I can't think of another time I've had a chance to talk to someone who's lived the life you've lived, and I you know makes me think. And I think I may have brought this up once before in this show. My I once asked my grandmother what was the most remarkable invention, and she said the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> Because she, you know, was of an era where like everything took forever to make and it was like so laborious to be in the, in the kitchen and how many hours. So the idea of just taking something out of the freezer and throwing the microwave was like revolutionary because it freed up time because that's how she was. And I thought, you know, that's the, that's the thing when you live a long time. But when you were younger, did you have aspirations for who you were going to be or was marrying someone in a family the aspirations you were given? That's kind of interesting because in the first place, we all were going to be married and have a family. A woman's, a woman's greatest aspiration in those days, unquestionably, was to find a husband. You know, it made it a lot simpler, though. 
You didn't have you didn't have to wonder. However, in the meantime, until I found Mr. Wright, yes, I planned to be a cowgirl. And I planned planned to sing on the radio. Now, the fact that I can't sing apparently in no way afflicted me. (laughs) So, uh, you know, thinking of what your grandma said, though, for me, I think the greatest invention is the washer and dryer. Because, see, I maybe go back a little further or something because we didn't have electricity or anything. No refrigeration. But so you did all the washing. Imagine babies and everything. You did it by hand. So when you to have a washing machine that you could put and and but do you know what it was a ringer machine you know you put the clothes through you've seen that you put the clothes through the ringer but often when when you were working at the ringer it would catch your hair or and pull it through or even your arm it was really dangerous wow i mean like it's so hard for me to appreciate what i have and that's kind of that's the best and the worst of generational differences, right? Well, you know, that's why that's why we do our show Generation Gap, which uh, a mystery guest is going to be on this month, in fact, with me. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> yes, because the, this is, I, we are lucky. I, I tell you the truth, don't know anyone else in my age group still actively working. Um, I'm sure there are, but I don't know them. So, so it is a chance. And what I want, what we try to do with with Generation Gap, is just look at things differently. Because that's we because of, just because of the inventions and everything else, we have to see things very differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great. We didn't mention that in the intro, but you have several podcasts, and so this is another one that people can look up, which is called Generation Gap. By the yes. time uh, this episode airs in September. I will have been a guest on Dorothy's show as well, which is pretty exciting. We'll put a link in the show notes when that comes out. So, I, so okay. So you have this like 30-year history of being an adult, of adulting, Maybe. of having <laughs> babies, babies who grow up to be adults themselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got all this time, you're, you know, and then tragedy strikes and you have to reinvent yourself. I mean, that is and you have this really clever way of talking about how, like, you know, you really couldn't even drive by yourself on the freeway. I mean, like, you really, you, you not only you're unemployable because you've been told literally you could not be employed. Like, it was a literal thing. Exactly right. And the only skills and everything I do now, I tell people start, don't be afraid to volunteer. We went through a phase when people would say, you know, if you don't, and there are some businesses you've got to get money for, but. They'd say, you know, don't do it if you don't get paid for it. But everything I do now, I did as a volunteer because there were no other ways. And after, and remember now, Gina is only six. She had just had her sixth birthday the week before my husband died. And she looked, you could imagine, you've got little kids. She looked like a third world child. You know, she would just, just sit there so sadly. So I had to think, what could I do? I have to take care of my children in both ways. I have to some way make a living. I have to some way look after them. And so I did a quick job skills assessment. And I realized that I had the same skills for being a radio talk show host as for working at McDonald's, which is to say absolutely none. And so I thought, well, here's the thing. And this is what has carried me through life. You just as well start at the top because McDonald's will always be there, you know, you can always go back, but you may not be able to go up. That's great. There was a little radio station in Lakewood near me, and you don't have to be in the parking lot to get the um, 
signal, but it doesn't hurt. But in those days, there were not as many women uh, on radio and TV as there are now. So I went in there and I said, you have no women on your staff. I can start Monday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and what were they going to do if they said, no, I wasn't going to start Monday. You can't get too excited about that. But And I don't mean to say that they embraced me warmly, and you'd have to watch them if they did, uh, is that, but but I started. I had, you know, we learn, it takes a while to learn our trade. So I did an early morning talk show, five o'clock in the morning. Um, call-ins. A lot of the people that were call are calling in now were so were calling in then. You just wonder why they never got a life. But in any case, I could then five to seven go home and get the kids off to school. I had a um, I had a job in a public relations office at the time. But I am building my business, and here is the next thing: you you take every opportunity. And you realize that whatever you want, if you know what you want, the opportunity will come. And I knew that. So you're supposed to say, and what was that, Dorothy? Well, you know, what I was thinking is that you will see more serendipity when you're looking for it. Yes, exactly. It's the same kind of, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, but, what, so what, what took you from this five to seven show in the morning of obscurity to like finally making it to a, to a place where people got to know who you were? Strange you should ask. Uh, <laughs> this is so good. This is my best. This, do you realize you're getting this free? This is my A story. Okay. So I knew the opportunity would come. And I had my eye on Cairo Radio and TV in Seattle. Is and Well, it's the seventh largest uh, station in the country now. It was the biggest in the Northwest then. It's substantial. In other words, it's big time. So that was what I had my eye on. And I knew the chance would come. And it did. Uh, Christmas, about two years after, I, after, so it would have been 1984, I think, because I had my degree by then. Okay. Christmas came. And I went out to do my shopping. And I bought gifts for 24 people without exceeding my budget. I left the house at 7, came home at 7 at night, and I was still comparatively sane. Voila, I did what anybody would do. I put out a press release. And, wow. And, I, you know, you keep saying that. <laughs> it's just hysterical. So, okay, what, you put out a press release that you had done this. Okay. Then the press release to Cairo, to Como, to King, but only, and, and, and I knew, because I slanted it, there's no question, Cairo was who I wanted and Cairo was who I got. I would take the others, you know. Okay, Christmas Eve day then in 1984, I drove up to Seattle, and I had in my mind that if they liked what I was doing, um, I would say, you know, it's a funny thing. As I was driving up here, I had some other ideas we might be able to use. Well, that's true. Uh, if they didn't like it, I wouldn't say anything. I'm not dumb. Well, so anyway, uh, sure enough, what I talked about, oh, you may have wondered what I was talking about. So I, um, I did a spot of creative living on how to uh, do your Christmas, it was because it's Christmas Eve day, how to do your Christmas Eve shopping at the last minute, you know, how to do it now. And actually, it was very good, I must say. So, and indeed, they did tell me that they liked it. And I was on Cairo Radio and TV for the next 10 years as their creative living expert. Honey, I was Martha Stewart before she ever thought of it. I did all kinds of creative, creative living ideas. 
And uh, she was a guest on my show, by the way. That's kind of fun. She was just, just a girl was just getting started. And, <laughs> but that was one of the places where I learned about how you're responsible for people who believe in you. I'm so lucky in the Northwest, in this little puddle, I'm a big frog. The people, people know me. But that means they believe what I say. And I did a uh, creative living segment one Easter about how to make jello eggs. You know, you put the jello in eggshells. That was before we realized that wouldn't be a good idea, idea either. No, now, but but at the time. Okay. And and then it's pretty, you know, you put it on the on the around the ham or whatever at the table. And I said it would be fun and easy. And this lady called in and she was crying, crying. And she said, you said it would be fun and easy, and it wasn't fun, and it wasn't easy. And I realized, yes, I did say that. And, and I needed to be more careful with the, you know, the people that were going to try to do what, what I suggested they do. And yeah. I think we all have to remember that. you know. So you created a sort of career out of being you and find a way to market it. I mean, this is so great. Um, and I love this idea that, you know, you were there for Martha Stewart on her way up, giving her some yeah, pointers. I was, I was, yeah. And I yeah. know that I know she remembers me. She just doesn't mention it, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, but no, I mean, this is, a, this is a brilliant sort of plan. And did you have any sense of how to run a business, though, in the middle of all this? Because you were Not learning how to earn money. All. None. The only, and, and it's been my disadvantage. Uh, I, everything I, I know about business, I learned from the National Speakers Association. One thing that was very much, uh, I think, different than, than it is now, because I don't go as often to the uh, conventions and things. But in those days, because NSA was new, the desire to help aspiring teachers, speakers, whatever we did, aspiring speakers was just incredible. So if you were having problems, you could easily find help. Now, I think it's still true to a certain extent, but it's a little different. It's a little more, you know, where there are so many. We were we were kind of few in those days, and you really could know everybody and help everybody and all that. So yes, yes, I didn't know anything. And let me tell you something else, I still don't know anything. So, but I, you know, I know enough to get out of the way most of the time. <laughs> Do you remember uh, how far into your speaking career? Well, when did it become a speaking career, I guess? Because, uh, and you sought out NSA, but like, when did it go from you working for these companies doing these things and then become you becoming a, your own business owner? You know, that is a really interesting question and I'm not sure. I have a very clear picture of, of, you know, I am the last surviving member. I hate to kind of put it that way, but I am the last surviving member of creative of the Pacific Northwest Speakers Association. So that would be quite a long time ago. And what I can't, the piece I can't recall right now, somebody must have told me, or maybe because of the radio shows or something, I heard that this uh, speakers group was forming. But I know that I was there, I was there at the beginning. And that was when I began to see that really, you don't, you don't have to know that much to be a speaker. 
people people are just as happy to hear about what you did wrong and uh, sometimes more so so but i remember when we were meeting uh, as we were forming the club one of the uh, members there were just, there were just a number of people that are really top of the line now or gone on but but i will not be able to remember their names cuz you know my bicycle thing here but maybe later. Anyway, but one of them was the senior captive in the first Iranian crisis. And he, uh, so we could look him up, you know, yeah. but I learned so much from him because, you know, he talked about what they had learned, uh, you know, how you have to learn to really, every word has to count. Often you're not going to get to say anything at all. You're going to have to, um, I don't know, you're, Probably not. Oh, I know you're not old enough to remember when the crew of the Pueblo was captured. It was a boat, not a city, um, and and were photographed and were photographed with what they said was a Hawaiian good luck symbol. And of course, the whole crew was giving the finger to their captives. So you learn, if, you know, from him. He told you know he told us all these things, and. He told us how grateful he was for the rain. It rains a lot in the Northwest. And so, so, you learn, so you're learning this. But I don't think I fully realized it until I was, I was talking to someone else who was part of, also part of that formation group, and he had six children. Now, at that time, it didn't fully sink in on me that a man having six children and a woman having six children, well, that's different. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but here is... If you ever want to talk about bad advice, but nevertheless got me into the speaking business, he's the one who said to me, you know, with six kids, you've got all the stories in the world. You're going to be a hit. This is going to be great. And I believe that. Now, you got kids. What do you think was, what, what do you think was wrong with that advice? I was telling everyone else's story. Is that... Well, it's like this. Now, your kids are still little, so it's probably okay. Oh, they don't. Oh, they don't want you to be telling their stories. Yes, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the problem of being a, a stand-up comic too. Yeah. Well, and, and if you're both, because I, you know, I do both, but I have, I have to very carefully, and it really takes away a lot of your stories. Go buy them if I'm in, in mentioning them at all, and people say, "Oh, they shouldn't be so sensitive." Uh, uh-uh. uh, it's their life. I don't, you know. It, it took me a long time to work that out. But and now I am very careful to tell parents because it does harm. You don't have the right. It's not. Um, what was her name? One of the one of the women speakers who said to me, you know, just because it happened to you, it isn't your story. And I think I think that's a for us who speak. You know, people depend on us way more than they should. <laughs> than yeah, yeah, that is a hard lesson that I I've also grappled with when it's like, but it's such a good illustration. Uh, yeah, not my story. Hey, so. Are you saying like that you actually started getting professional speaking sort of were you were you nearing 60 at that point then? Well, I had to be. <laughs> I had yeah. to be. Okay, I was 48 when my husband died. I got my degree. I got fired. I did have a job at the time. I worked. You want to know where I got fired from? I got fired from my church. You know, it's pretty bad when you can't hold a job at church. And do you want to know what I did? Of course you do. <laughs> yes, you do. I 
I was the religious education director. Where's the little flaw there, do you think? <laughs> anyway, well, I was educated by the Jesuits at Gonzaga in Spokane. I was actually, I, I had my first year of college. I was in the first class of women through Gonzaga, so that was good. But I was working at, at our church, and the kids, this was the first grade class, and I read to them in theology, you know, in our in our religious education class, they're just little kids. I read them Horton Hatches the Egg by Dr. Seuss, and I still don't think that was a mistake. But there you, you see, go. Yes. Happen, yes. <laughs> so I would have been by then, 48, 49, 50, um, 50, about 52 by the time I started up at Cairo. So by the time probably 55, 56. You know, what What I think is so great here is I remember watching um, Harvey Milk's uh, story, um, the, the the movie version, and he's laying in bed and he just turned 40 and he's saying how he's done nothing with his life. He's done yeah. nothing with his life. He's no direction. And you know, he goes on to be this amazing person in history, exactly. right? And exactly. I, I remember watching that and thinking, you know what? That's how we should all approach life. Like we don't know yet what's to come. And we can't write off the future. And so look at this. You were in your 50s and you started a whole new career and we are still doing it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I still, as you know, you don't even have to worry about my ideas because I will have another one in a minute. But I think that all of us have this. People people say, well, you know, how do you do? How come you do so much? Or how do you do so much? Well, A, we're lucky. It's a terrible thing that people are so sick and all that. But you know, we're in a place where we have all the opportunity in the world. And we actually can be helpful to people. I love being helpful to people when it's fun. But I think I'm still here for a reason. I think when there's no more reason, they'll call. See, I can see that the door only swings one way. I know where I'm going. But I'm here. And and there's so much that I can still do. And I, I, I think that for all of us, that's that's the way it is. So I'm always curious how people nurture and sustain their extended networks. And I can't imagine the numbers of thousands of myriad people you have met and have gotten to know you in your lifetime. So what are the ways you think about, I mean, you've got sort of your closest knit people, and then there's the sort of like second and third layers out, the people that you see once a year at a conference or fi- five years ago, you worked with them on a project. And this is the people that you like, the people that you enjoy. I mean, you and I are enjoying each other's company, but like, you know, some period of time might pass. Like, how do you stay in touch with and nurture and sustain those kinds of connections that, you know, aren't in your everyday life all the time? Well, I think for all of us, that's really hard. Um, I, I think of all the, because I'm really good with people, but it is hard, especially, you know, as I always say, I, starting with those closest to me, I raised my kids to be independent and, and darn them, they are. I, I just made a clip for you there, uh, clean language. <laughs> and uh, then, and but even with them, I try to, to remember, because you can imagine your little kids growing up and gone away and thinking you're none too bright. That's the hard thing. 
So you just keep sending them. Like I have, I have one grandson who's in college, which naturally means he's home now. And I, I, this is one way the telephone, the little, this little gadget, the little iPhone is a wonderful thing because I can write them all a little, little note. So I try to do that. In other words, to start with my immediate family, we now probably do much more texting than because nobody wants to talk on the phone. I have, I have one son that will not talk on the phone. Well, so, okay, so that's, that's now. Now, what is becoming interesting is the next tier. Friends I love with all my heart, but I don't see them as often as I should. And then, of course, the ones that you got to keep in touch with because you're not dumb, you know. Um, well, I am starting, and, and Robbie, you'll be so proud and so touched. I am really starting to use Zoom a lot. Because did I did I send you the painting yesterday or the other day that I did? I did a painting on Zoom with a friend. Uh, she lives, I live in DuPont, as you know, and she lives in Issaquah, which is about 80 miles away. And we painted together. And I thought, why can't we do that? We can, you know, because a lot of people, this is a good time to take a painting. And it happens, as you can see, looking at the paintings on my wall, I, I can paint. And it's something we could do. And there could be other activities and different friends could, you know, could lead them. So that's one thing we're going to do. And then I've, I've been asked to lead a Tai Chi class on Zoom, Zoom, Robbie. <laughs> and so, so I think I'll do that. I think it'll be hilarious. So that's now that more or less. And my, my semi-close, second closest here, we do talk on the phone. And I am ashamed to say that sometimes I think, you know, I haven't got time to do this. Because with, with my friends, um, our, our generation, if you pick up the phone at all, it's going to be an hour and a half. That's just life. Well, anyway, but that's because they're dear to me and that's fine. And then the further out here, I find that that's really hard because you want to keep them, especially now, you want to keep them happy. Um, so I'm trying to involve them in my, uh, in my laugh breaks. You know, I'm building, um, I, we pause for station identification. I'm building little laugh breaks that go into uh, terribly dull Zoom meetings, and you know if you've got one. And so uh, that's something I can get in touch with. It doesn't so much matter that I'm doing it as what I'm saying is because I'm building that, I can get in touch with these people that have shown interest in me or booked me in the past and say, you know, I'm doing this and I wonder what you think about it. And if they think, as, as I'm, my son says, I am fond of saying that's the dumbest idea I ever heard. He advises me to quit saying that. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but he's, a, he's an engineer. I'm going to interject here for a minute, uh, Dorothy, because you mentioned Zoom a couple of times. And um, I wanted to acknowledge that you went through my four-week program, the, the 5% Advantage program. And now and yeah, and I don't know if she actually know this, but um, I've decided that everyone who's going to that program is going to now be certified, hashtag no more bad Zoom. And Dorothy, you're going to be receiving a digital badge that you could display. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so happy. This is very wonderful. It was a great class. It was a great class for a lot of reasons. And would you like me to tell some or do you want <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Well, the major thing, um, and actually we started off, I would say, not, not as adversarial, but at least we were wondering about each other. Uh, it was it's extremely helpful because it's hands-on, and that's not easy when we're hands-off. But I feel so confident you will love this one. 
because you know it is not use, uh, usual. I will say I do not know one other person my age that can do Zoom meetings now. The, you know, um, the governor of our state, who has not done a bad idea, a bad thing with the um, coronavirus, nevertheless had a big Zoom uh, press conference the other night, and it went all the heck. You know how these things will happen. It wasn't their fault. These things happen. And I thought, well, I know what to do. You know, what you do is you start with the understanding that it may very well go all to heck. And so everybody's going to have to shut down, start over again. But they didn't know how to do it. And it took them a real long time. And I thought, well, so it's practical. It is hands-on. It is practical. And I would be surprised if anybody that took that class couldn't confidently think of a lot of things to do with the information, but please don't do what I'm doing because I'm old and I haven't got all the time in the world. <laughs> well, what I love is the, the level of competence and confidence that people exhibit at the end of these four weeks, which is why now that I'm in the third iteration and I'm going to be relaunching in September. So actually September 1st, when this uh, airs, I'll be right in the middle of the, the, the relaunch of that program when we'll be doing the next cohort of the four-week uh, program and this time I will be talking up front about the fact that there's a certification attached to it because I could stand behind it. You know, like I know what you learned and uh, you did all that work and you deserve to be recognized for it. So wrap up question that we have. This is one of my favorite questions, Dorothy. So if we were reconnecting a year from now and we were talking about all of your successes and we're, we're talking about all your successes and we're talking about everything you've accomplished in the previous year, what are we going to be celebrating? What do you most look oh, forward to in the year ahead? That is good, and I don't use that one. Um, I wonder how I can have thought not to. Well, it's really hard to say. I can it be personal or must it be personal? either? No, either and both. Well, I would like what I would like to be celebrating is that all the family, even those that can't stand each other, have come for my birthday party because I I moms want to see their kids. And so that's one thing I would like to be celebrating. But at the same time, I would like to be celebrating the publication of my next book by a major publisher. I've, I've uh, independently published. I've had a good niche publisher. Nice history for us. Very good. But I want double day. <laughs> so, so that'll be, I mean, why not? Why not? That's right. And I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. That would be worth toasting. Fantastic. So this is Dorothy, been just such a pleasure. So how can people find you and follow your work? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, my my website and where they can actually also find the podcasts, uh, there's a lot of places, but let's start with website and podcasts. It's ne- www.itsnevertolate.com. No apostrophe at the S. It's nevertolate.com. Um, my book, uh, True Tales of Puget Sound, is on Amazon and every place books are sold. Um, the, the fun place to find the podcast, by the way, is SOBRadioNetwork.com because SOB stands for Spunky Old Broads and all of the hosts are women over, uh, over 50. That's so great. We'll have all those links as well as links to your LinkedIn, your Twitter, and your other books that you have that we haven't mentioned here uh, that are all on Amazon as well. We'll have all those links at the show notes at uh, ontheschmooze.com. Dorothy, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful fun. Thank you, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dorothy. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. 
What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 210. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources of today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. And whether you're interested in building an online course or just want to be a stronger presenter, it's time to get certified No More Bad Zoom. The September cohort of the 5% Advantage program is starting on September 11. The investment for this four-week certification program is $1,500. If you want more information, visit the 5percentadvantage.com. That's the number 5percentadvantage.com. You're also welcome to email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com and I can share more details and we'd be happy to schedule a chat to see if this is right for you. If you enjoyed this episode with Dorothy, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.